The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And we're going to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly from AEW Dynamite this week. Stock up, stock down. Well, Joel, let's start with one of the best things from this week's episode of Dynamite. And that was the main event of CM Punk versus MJF. And I truly, leading, even going when the entrances started with 45 minutes left in the show, I'm like... There's no way this match is happening tonight. Something's going to happen. There's going to be some weird uh, things, and they're going to save this. No, Joel, we we got this match, and have, I don't think we've seen CM Punk have a match longer than, what, 15, 20 minutes since he, he's come back? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think this is yet another example of AEW as a company exposing our broken brains from Mm -hmm. years and years of watching the other wrestling company and the teasing to the extreme of, oh, we're going to pretend like this is happening, but it's not going to happen or it's going to happen, but there's going to be a quick disqualification and then they're going to have the rematch be the actual match that matters at the pay-per-view or whatever. And AEW has shown us over and over and over again, no, you get big matches on Dynamite with decisive finishes and meaningful moments. And yet we still think now they're going to backdoor their way out of this somehow. And uh, they didn't hear, we got an insane 40 minute match with, you know, a, uh, a different kind of false finish, uh, which we'll talk about. (laughs) And and then ultimately um, a a big moment between MJF and Wardlow that is is kind of pushing that storyline forward. And, I, I was really impressed. And again, I was really confused when, you know, the match started with that much time left in the mm-hmm. show. And like, are we really going to have this match with like four commercial breaks in it? And we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. I saw a lot of people talk like, God, they got to move away from these long, long matches. I'm like, they don't have to. It, it works because the matches and the stories are good. If it's a 40 minute match that just has nothing behind it. Yeah, we're going to hate it. But every long match we've had on Dynamite the last few months has had incredible stories to tell. And the mat, like the ring work has been really good. Um and this match in particular, it felt like MJF just was like, "Okay, what's the heel checklist? What do I need to do throughout this match?" There was a thumb to the eye, there was the feet on the ropes, there was the diamond ring punch that caused the restart. Like he was just going through a checklist and I hated him at every step of the way. Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> like I hate him. He also was wearing a uh, white pinstripe gear, you know, fucking New York Yankees. Uh, I saw that CM Punk one once wore gear like that against John Cena in Massachusetts. So I thought that was a kind of a cool connection in the two characters history. So, um, yeah, it, we kind of saw MJF in peak form here. Peak heel work, peak in-ring work. Uh, there's not a lot of times where you're like, okay, CM Punk is about to be like out-athleticized, outworked here. Um, MJF is just, people forget how good of a worker he is. Like we don't, because he doesn't wrestle as much as everyone else. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's really so protected. Young. And we only really see him in these big 
important matches and there's enough time in between them that you can forget just how skilled of an in-ring worker he is. And, you know, I, I think he's kind of like a cash wheeler in that half the shit he could do we will never see because <laughs> like there is a character choice to not do those things. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure that he's athletic and fit enough to do all kinds of top rope flippity doos and, you know, everything else that you could possibly want from your favorite indie rific wrestler. But he's chosen not to do those things. And then when he does pull something out, that's like super athletic and different and interesting, it blows you away because you don't usually see that from MJF. And and we see the same thing, you know, with Cash Wheeler, he does kind of the same thing with his character in this match. I was so impressed by both guys, long form selling of different body parts. And by the end of the match, it's like, what works on CM Punk? Like what isn't, partially broken by this stage in the match. You know, we had seen his knee get worked. We'd seen his arm get worked, his shoulder get worked, you know, all these different things. And by the end, both guys are just staggering around desperately trying to make anything work in this match. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, uh, it was pretty great. By the way, I just realized I got my finishes confused. It was the hidden tape choke out that restarted the match diamond ring to win it also great sleight of hand by wardlow to even give him that ring <laughs> like i totally missed it i completely too. missed it in real time yeah like and, and and props on the production team for getting that shot of showing how it happens because that was perfect and what i liked about that part of the match joel too is that we've been they've been teasing this wardlow mjf tension for god two years now and it has really kind of started to come to the you know center uh, the last few weeks and in the end he's still loyal to mjf it didn't matter (laughs) like it was all this trick it was all this this way to lure us lure us the fans in and i tweeted turn goddamn it turn when he walked out to the ring um unfortunately we didn't get that but i i felt like this was just really good work of kind of laying the trap for us and him helping mjf win this match i thought was surprising Well, and massive props to Wardlow as well. I thought his performance was great. Uh, He did everything very slowly and deliberately. Mm -hmm. And the whole time you're just watching with bated breath, waiting to see like, what's he going to do? Like he, he steps over punk and, and is up in, in the, the ring ropes and, and jawing with the referees got his hand on the middle rope, but he's not pulling himself up. And he's just very, deliberate in the whole thing and then eventually stands aside and you know it it was so well done all three of the wrestlers involved uh really sold this finish and it was a huge deal i mean we haven't even talked about the fact that this is mjf breaking cm punk's undefeated streak in aw handing him his first loss in Chicago. <laughs> in fucking Chicago. Yep. And, you know, still having his most important employee in tow. And, like, massive win for the character. And, you know, I saw somebody tweeted um, that one of WCW's big mistakes was never having the superstar talent lose to the up-and-comers. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And and that's something that we don't see 
in AEW. We've seen Chris Jericho lose to the likes of Orange Cassidy, go to a time limit draw with Jungle Boy. Uh, We've seen now CM Punk take this huge loss against MJF. Cody has jobbed out to multiple people to put them over. (laughs) And, you know, it it's really cool to see the way they are building up these names and creating new stars, truly building new stars within professional wrestling. And uh, this match was the quintessential example of that. Yeah. And, and MJF, you know, he kind of lost his last big match, you know, in the finale of the Jericho feud, you know, he, he wasn't able to retire Jericho, which would have been, we've talked before. We would have loved to see that happen. It would have been in the ultimate, he could have carried that with him for the, they could re they could do this match again at revolution. CM Punk could win. And then they could do this match three more times and CM Punk can win. But guess what? MJF won the first one in Chicago. It doesn't matter. You can give CM Punk his win back and it doesn't fucking hurt MJF at all. Like period. So this, Mm -hmm. this is monumental for him and props to CM Punk. Like he adapts his, his, he can work with pretty much anyone, you know, like I, I saw someone tweet this the other day and it's like, what I really appreciate about CM Punk is he doesn't try to like keep up when he's the lesser athlete in matches. Like he's not trying to do things he normally wouldn't do. He, he, this was a really like this was a, a more of a stelly, uh, storytelling match and it was like a spot fest um the way that they sold the injuries throughout you know him working on punk's arm and punk's knees where the knee gave out during one of the go to sleep attempts like it was just it was just really well done and we also saw the first pepsi plunge uh apparently since he was in ring of honor i personally have never seen the pepsi plunge before i only knew it because they were screaming it but i thought i thought he just did a really bad pedigree off the top rope <laughs> so <laughs> it's nice to know that he has you know an actual name for it but yeah i i i there's a this was a really great match um i think punk doesn't get hurt and you needed punk to lose at some point right he needed to get the the blemish because now it opens up every match doesn't feel like you know inevitable punk's gonna win punk's gonna win it we it opens up what you can do with him now it also could potentially help him lean into a more heelish work. We've seen him dive into it briefly, depending on the person he's feuding with, but um, it's kind of hard to be a true hero when you're the undefeated babyface hero. Um, so yeah, I, I liked this. I, I don't know if it's done. Like I said, you could bring, run them back if you wanted to, this easily could be a rematch or something where, you know, Hey, punk's tired of interference, put it in a cage match or, you know, something like that, or maybe punk brings in reforms. I don't know. There, there's a lot you can do here. And we have a long time. We have what? Five weeks to revolution. You know, yeah, there's time to, mm-hmm. there's times to kind of evolve this story if they, if they want to. Definitely. Definitely. I think, uh, I think we said just about everything that needs to be said about this. If you didn't watch it, obviously go back and watch this match. If you did watch it, maybe go back and watch this match anyway. Cause it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, I think I need to go. I, I might need to watch it again. So, uh, so now let's let's leap to the polar opposite end of the dynamite <laughs> spectrum. I said we'd talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is definitely the ugly category. Uh, we had a bizarre, awful, nonsensical segment involving five really talented people who I like. And I'm kind of confused here. Well, I guess 
four really talented people that I like and one that the jury is still out on for me because I don't really know much about Paige Van Zant. But of course, we're talking <laughs> about the Dan Lambert, Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Brandy Rhodes segment where Brandy came out and started cutting a seemingly heel promo in the ring. Uh-huh. And then Dan Lambert, who's, you know, mega heel himself, comes out and talks about, you know, how he's conservative, sexist, rich, white, and... You know, somehow he's still the person that the crowd wants to cheer for over Brandy Rhodes. And I just wonder, like, who does this help? Because I don't think it helps anybody. I I don't I don't know what they're doing here when they started, because this isn't the first time Dan Lambert and Brandy have had a run in. I just always assumed that it would lead to Cody and Dustin getting involved with the men of the year. Like. It would seem logical, you know, it was three men kind of shit talking this woman like and then that promo, that first set of promos were awful. This one was atrocious. Like how many references to her boobs like do you need? And we we praise Cody right now for how he's handling this. Am I a heel? Am I a face? Am I a little bit of both? Like. Brandy did not have the subtlety <laughs> um, or the promo abilities to pull that off. And I don't know if she like, that's the confusing thing is like, is she just a heel at this point? Like, I think this is just terribly written and really badly thought out. Like, I don't know what this accomplished. I really don't. I think it made everybody in the entire yeah. segment look worse. Dan Lambert didn't come out looking great. Scorpio sky and Ethan page who I love. I mean, I love those guys. Randy buried Ethan Page. They looked like total chumps. But she also buried AEW because if the whole point of hiring Ethan Page was to get to the walking weapon and you didn't get to the walking weapon, you fucking failed. So, like, who comes out looking good here? Paige Van Zandt doesn't really come out looking good here. She's an MMA fighter who's, you know... Getting, getting, Getting pulled away from someone else by a bunch of wrestlers. Yeah, and like, she has a very significant career. She's a name that I yeah. recognize, and I don't pay attention to MMA at oh. all. And yeah. then for her coming out here, like she doesn't need Dan Lambert. She doesn't need Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, especially to be out there. I just didn't fucking get it. And this segment would have worked better if Paige Transcend just came out and just knocked Brandy the fuck out. Like one punch, bam, and just turned around and walk away. Like message sent page van zent is their their ringer you're the one she's the one who's going to be fighting you brandy boom okay move on to the brandy page van zant match if that's what you're going to but you may yeah you made page van zant look like a weakling she's legitimate like i have friends who don't watch wrestling and when i mentioned oh page van zant was on aew this week they're like oh shit no really like so i just i don't know this was it's so weird And Joel, to recap kind of AW since it started, what are some of the biggest things we've hated? We've hated Brandy Rhodes' nightmare. What was it? Nightmare. Oh, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The collective. Nightmare collective. Yeah, with like Luther. And that went nowhere. It disappeared. Anthony Agogo, Cody Rhodes, the match and the promos leading up to it. We fucking hated. Like, it's consistent, like... I don't know whether the roads just have a lot more leeway with what they can do on dynamite, but like I can tell you from every year they've been around, I've hated something the roses have done. 
So I think what it comes down to is that AEW is at its worst when it goes out of its way to try to be edgy. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, that is not in their wheelhouse. They're not good at it. Like you, the the common refrain that you'll hear when you complain about like so-and-so's character being racist or sexist or whatever is like, well, they're a heel. They're a villain. Well, in this segment, Dan Lambert, was not set up as the heel. He was in the babyface role. The crowd is cheering for Dan Lambert mm-hmm. and the crowd is cheering for Paige Van Zant, And that's inherently problematic when you have someone who's touting the fact that they are all these things that you as the fans should hate and yet you're cheering for me. And that just, I don't know, the whole segment felt really gross, really poorly thought out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the fuck it accomplished. Like it, it reminded me of some all. of the um, some of the uh, Jack Swagger shit. We the people were like, it's it felt like they were trying to be villains, and uh, then they got latched onto as heroes with all the shit they would say. Um, yeah, I I I didn't like this. I'm glad we're on the same page because like even last week, I was like, when Dan Lambert avoids the gutter, he is a very good effective heel. Like the stuff he did with. Adam, Adam Page. Page. Yeah, that was stuff was great. Great. That was great. It it's that whole feud with Lance Archer is kind of based off of that opening salvo from Dan Lambert. Like you're not a cowboy, you're not real really tough. Like what are you doing here? So it's just they they need to know, I don't know. I guess edgy doesn't have to be gutter. You can be edgy and still avoid that type of stuff. And it just feels like the attitude era is just this thing that people want to replicate. And guess what? It sucks now. It sucked then. Jesus Christ, you go on the network and watch stuff from like 99, 98, 2000. It's dog shit. The wrestling wasn't that great either. What you had were some really incredibly talented, charismatic performers. I mean, that's how The Rock has become like the highest the paid actor star, yeah. in the world. <laughs> Because, like, he has that incredible charisma. And, like, I don't like the style of movies that he makes, but I'll still always watch something that The Rock is in because I know I'm going to enjoy The Rock. And, you know, this this segment was just so bad. I want to move on because I don't want to just sit and stew in this negativity. Um, (laughs) But, like, this was complete dog shit. And um, I, I don't hate the prospect of a Brandy Rhodes Paige Van Zant match. Although I'll say, why would you put Brandy in this spot when you have Thunder Rosa available who has actually, you know, fought in MMA competition and would seem like a much better opponent for, for a Paige Van Zant or Britt Baker, the biggest woman in your company. You want to have a high profile match between Paige Van Zant and one of your wrestlers. How about one of the people who is actually a star that fans want to see? Brandy Rhodes. It also doesn't help that Brandy Rhodes isn't that good of a wrestler. Like she she wasn't. I great like her when a I... lot. I'm a big fan, but but she is not the right person for for this feud. And you know, I hope I hope they can change my mind on this, but it's gonna take a pivot to something different because this segment was complete trash. I'd, I'd rather it end up being a like a mixed tag with Cody and Brandy versus one of the men of the year and Paige Van Zant. 
Um, Cause at least then you won't have to isolate Brandy in a match for 10, 15 minutes. Cause we, she just, she doesn't have that in the ring. You know, we've talked about how she's improved over the years, but even before her pregnancy, she was like, okay, she still has some work to do to clean up some things. And then she was out, out of the ring for almost a year. So I, yeah, I ugh, not let's enough about that. Let's move on to one of my favorite parts of this show. It's Danielson and Moxley future tag team question mark. Yeah. This whole post-match uh, segment between Danielson and Moxley after Moxley got his win over Wheeler Yuta uh, was really compelling and interesting. And they did one of my favorite things I'm going to dig back into the Eric Bischoff playbook and point out that they created a question. Mm -hmm. They did not then immediately answer that question. And I think pro wrestling far too often is in fast forward where it's like in this one segment, we're going to get offer rebuttal and consequence all at the same time. Just leave it out there. It doesn't all have Mm -hmm. to happen at once. Now we have a week to think about it, speculate and wonder is John Moxley going to take Brian Danielson up on this offer? And I think the answer is probably no, but I like not knowing. I like sitting mm-hmm. and stewing and wondering and thinking about it. And you don't get that opportunity if Moxley either shakes Danielson's hand or says no and you know kicks him and gives him a paradigm shift and then walks out, which seemed like the two most obvious things that would happen. I love that Daniel was, was like, you know, this is a lot, take some time think about it, get back to me. And that was the way the segment ended. Absolutely flawless. Yeah, this was fantastic. And give it to Moxley to just give us such a jiffable moment with his like reaction. He does this like every other, like every other match he has, every other show. He's like, he does something great with his facial features. And that was just really good. And yeah, you know, like it gives us a reason to tune in next week. Hell, they don't even need to necessarily address it directly next week. This could go on. Um, and yeah, I, I, with all the stuff with, okay, Danielson's going to be, has been watching his matches before he got booted off the show. He's going to face one of Danielson's real life friends and Spanky. Like it all set up like, okay, this is leading to Danielson's going to attack Moxley. And then like the basic, basic scenario. And then we're going to have a match in a few weeks. I am really intrigued of a Moxley Danielson pairing. Like, I like you said, he most likely is not going to accept Moxie's characters that, you know, he doesn't really do groups. You know, he we saw how he handled the invitation to the inner circle resulted someone with getting some bubbly smashed along his head. But he also kind of teamed with Kingston for a few months last year, had had an alliance with him after their feud. So you could see something here. And I just think like putting together these two intense strong you know brutal guys in a team or faction like i loved the young guys they mentioned of like putting them in a faction together like that would be sick Mm -hmm. um so yeah they mentioned people he mentioned people specifically that moxley has had matches against in daniel mm -hmm. garcia and Wheeler Yuta coming off of a match with Wheeler Yuta I really liked that specific because like hey you were literally just in the ring with this kid you Mm -hmm. know how good he could be if he wasn't hanging around with goofballs like Orange Cassidy and Danhausen (laughs) which you know I I really enjoyed this this whole setup 
they name dropped your dude, Lee Moriarty, as well. Yeah. Like, like putting those guys together is would could work. It could really work and could really help elevate these guys. Well, and um, we're, we're in the stock up segment here. Stock up to all three of those guys simply because their names came out of Brian Danielson's uh, mouth. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> it basically anointing them as the future of pro wrestling right there. And I know that he came off as kind of heelish in the way he was setting this up and the way he was talking about, you know, other people in the company. Like, we got to get Wheeler Yuta guys, away. <laughs> but it was like, we got to get Wheeler Yuta away from the best friends. Okay, so I'm shitting on the best friends. Goofballs like Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen. Okay, I'm shitting on them. Very heelish stuff, but without being like full on dastardly. Yeah. You know, I am evil and this is my evil plan to use you to accomplish my goals, even though that's kind of the subtext. So I really like the subtlety. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's get the Danielson Dojo up and running and get this shit going. But um, yeah, th- this was this was great. It It's really intriguing. And yeah, we were on a build to revolution. Um, Could this be they team up? Could this be with a feud? I don't know. Either way, I think we're going to be happy because I think we both like did they I know they kind of cross paths at times um in in the other wrestling company i can't really think of like specific like either matches they had or like i know there was that one time where punk was getting harassed by the shield and danielson was getting harassed by the wyatt family and they like punk and danielson kind of worked together to fend off both groups but i can't recall like any specific one-on-one thing so um, yeah, that was all during an era I wasn't watching. So I'm going to be no help on <laughs> this one. Um, one thing that I think could be really interesting, and you know how I love matches with stakes, uh, mm-hmm. is at Revolution, Danielson versus Moxley. If Danielson wins, they form a faction together. Mm. Like in a whole, okay, I'm interested, but I need to test your metal. Like, are you really on my level? Do you deserve to have me working alongside you you got to prove it to me by beating me in a match and that i think could be really compelling and i think moxley could totally sell that yeah it's kind of like mjf beating jericho to join the inner circle you know that that whole setup so yeah yeah it's kind of the inverse of that so Mm -hmm. yeah all right joel why don't we move on to the lightning rounds and uh close out the show lightning round so this isn't something that necessarily happened on Dynamite, but rumors are that Keith Lee intends to sign with AEW and he may already have a contract done. Joel, we've talked about all these ex-WWE guys coming out, you know, the last few months through releases. Thumbs up, thumbs down to Keith Lee joining AEW. Um, I'm, I'm going to need to borrow <laughs> a thumb you or two thumb? so I can, give this, I can give this as many thumbs up as possible. Um, There is no one on the planet like Keith Lee. He is a unique talent. He is an incredible talker. He is an unbelievable worker. Unbelievable because it is unfathomable that he does the things that he does. Physically, he's a freak. He's an amazing athlete. And I would love to see him come in and just run roughshod over literally everyone. Like, I don't care. I would not even be mad if he debuted and beat Adam Page for the title. Like, and we all know how much I love Adam Page. Like, <laughs> that is the level to which I would be excited to see Keith Lee 
in AEW. Tony Khan has talked about dream signings. That's a dream signing. Give mm-hmm. me Keith Lee and treat him with respect. Yeah. I don't even really consider him an ex-WWE guy just because of how bad his his main roster run was, how they didn't really use him. But you want to talk about, you know, hey, we don't want to bring in free agents and then just have him, you know, take someone's spot. He's a guy who absolutely has legitimacy, who you can just say, yep, you're immediately, like how they put um, uh, Brody Lee into those big feuds right off the bat. Like, you can do that with Keith Lee because the fans already know who he is. The fans already know kind of his style and he, he is legit. So I, I think it'd be, I think it's a slam dunk. Um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see that here in the next few months, but I just had to bring that up because I know how big of a fan of Keith Lee you are that, that thumbs up, thumbs down was quite a bullshit question. Cause I knew <laughs> it'd be like, it'd be like saying, Joe, do you like Dan Housen? <laughs> like <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. So love that Dan Housen or be cursed. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I, hard to pivot off of that because now I'm just thinking about all the matches I want to see Keith Lee have <laughs> with AEW talent. Uh, but I'm going to pivot off of that and talk about what I think was Darby Allen's best performance. Like, in terms of mic work, in terms of character outside of the ring. And this segment that we got with uh, Darby Allen and um, Andrade in Sting's uh, locker room. And I really enjoy the whole dynamic of Andrade thinking that Darby works for Mr. Sting. We've talked about that previously, but this segment with the two of them, I thought was tremendous. And his whole, like, you really don't know me. You don't understand. Like money doesn't, money means something to a lot of people. I'm not one of them. And then finally he's like, okay, you don't get it. And pulls out the baseball bat. And then Andrade, of course, is just cool as a cucumber. He's like, okay, calm down. I'm going to go find Mr. Sting. Was that on Rampage last week? That might have been on Rampage. I don't care. I'm calling back to it. I watched Rampage. We're fine with Rampage. I just, I I was like, I don't remember that being on Dynamite. (laughs) Yeah, I watched Rampage on Wednesday. Okay. So um, we had a little bit of technical difficulties and wasn't able to watch it over the weekend like I usually do. And uh, yeah, so I ended up watching it on Wednesday, right before dynamite and it kind of all runs together. But I just, I think that was the best, like that he, he sounded more compelling on the microphone in that segment. And I believed him more in that segment than I have in anything else he's done to this point. And uh, that's encouraging because he's clearly someone that AEW has pegged as being a big part of their future. And if he can't get it done on the mic, that's going to get boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for this story, I, I really hope it, it it just ends up being a Darby Allen versus Andrade match. I feel like they might pull in Matt Hardy so they can make it a tag and get Sting involved, um, possibly at the pay-per-view as a special attraction. But yeah, I'm enjoying this. And I'm just thinking of the potential match that we may eventually get. Um, Joel, my next item is, why, did, why does AEW hate Ruby Soho? <laughs> Hey, she has my spot of the night. My favorite spot from this episode <laughs> of of Dynamite goes to Ruby Soho in the uh, her ambition uh, outstripped her reach. And she went for the no future to the top turnbuckle, missed and collapsed to the mat, leading to her eventual loss to Nyla Rose. Uh, 
and I didn't hate it. Like I love Ruby Soho. I think she's great. Um, and I didn't mind her taking the L here. I don't think she's someone who needs to win all of the time in order to be relevant and compelling. She needs to win big matches. Like, like she lost to, to Brit. She lost in the tournament finals. I think this was her first dynamite match since she lost in the finals. Like, when you go to her a, a Wikipedia page, you see a lot of loss because they only talk about the big matches and she's losing them all. Like we put her maybe not necessarily on the same tier as like the Danielson Coles and CM Punk's in terms of like, wow, the level of free agent signing. But we put her really high and thought that she was a game changer for this division. And it's been what, five months now? And it, what impact have has she made? Like, yes, she's had some good matches, but like, I just that's feel the impact. like that's the impact I, right there. And and I think that's I, I think sometimes an AEW does a good job of making us get caught up in this, but we get caught up in the wins and losses. And I, I think for for Ruby Soho, what she adds is that all of those matches that you mentioned are great matches and matches that, you know, we we might not get if it's someone else in that spot. Uh, I, I like that we got a, a good length of time for this Nyla and Ruby match. Didn't know who was going to win. And it was compelling throughout. And we saw some really cool spots. And that maybe this is a sad commentary on the state of the division in general, but that feels like a step forward. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, between her and Serena Deeb putting on these, you know, showcases that definitely helps i guess i'm just worried that like with every additional loss without one of these signature wins i'm just like why should i care about her like we know like danielson is someone you know who doesn't always need to win but imagine if he lost like his four biggest matches right off the bat (laughs) like it, it would feel different so i'm just She's incredible. You know, we were really hyped about it. And I just, I want to see her kind of like, it was kind of like, I wanted to see her have like that Thunder Rosa Britt Baker lights out match. Like, okay, it's not for a title, but wow, this was huge. Like this was Mm -hmm. a really big, this is really important. This is a really significant match Mm -hmm. in the history of the company. Like, cause she's capable of that. I just don't think we've seen her be put in that spot yet. Well, it's, it takes time. She hasn't been in the company that long. I mean, but you just you, you compare it to how they've handled like other free agents who have come in recently, the big ones like you're not I don't know. I'm not feeling like CM Punk's made to look like kind of a, you know, joke by taking L's or. OK, but you're you're comparing Ruby Soho to CM Punk and Brian and I Danielson, made, I made a both point of to which were not like... on the same tier. Like I made that. That was my initial point. Like she wasn't the same level of free agent signing as those guys or even Adam Cole from just kind of like the grand scheme of things. But for the women's division, she's the, they're the biggest free agent signing they've had since the company started. Like she's the biggest one and she's not kind of getting the same kind of. Oomph. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to take time. Um, and I think that she's the kind of character that setting her up to be an underdog is actually working in her favor. Um, and the crowd, is when still... she wins, I'll be fucking surprised. Well, yeah, well, and the crowd <laughs> is still behind her. I and mean, I think that's a really important piece. I, I think when we get into the territory, if she's, you've been in the company for a year 
and we can't think of a signature win that she has, then I'll be a little bit more concerned. I, I think the fact that she's had these really stellar matches and the crowd is clearly excited to see her is enough right now. Yep. All right, Joel, what do you got for me? Um, so I, I had something and then I got I'll, off I'll, track. I'll drop one. I really wish Pac wrestled the whole match with the, uh, the covering over his eyes. I know he did a bit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I really wanted the whole match to be the blind warrior. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. Do you think he was actually blindfolded? Because I, well, I, I, think, I, think, I think one of two things is true, right? Either he was really blindfolded and they rehearsed that specific sequence to the point where he could do it blindfolded, or he is a spectacular actor because the way he was like squaring up and being a little bit off and then turning just a little bit more really made me believe that he couldn't see. And I would be more inclined to think that he could see through it had he worn it the entire match. Uh, but the fact that they did that, that short sequence of very specific spots, and then he took the blindfold off, mm-hmm. really made me feel like he couldn't actually see during that portion. And that's super cool. I think if if he, if I think he might have been able to see like a little bit, like, you know, like when you squint your eyes and you can't really make out details, but you can see shapes. Like, I think it was more like that where he could kind of tell the relative position of things. But yeah. It's impressive regardless because you don't want to be wrestling with your eyes squinted, like mostly shut. So I, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. And I like in my brain, I'm like, if anyone can do this, I it's fucking pack packs crazy enough to say, yeah, let me work a seven minute match blindfolded. Well, I mean, and you think about some of the maneuvers that he does, like he can do a lot of things where with the, the flippity doos that he does, you can't necessarily see where your body is going at all times when you're doing, say, Mm -hmm. a shooting star press. And, you know, that's something that he can do. So it's not far-fetched to to have a short sequence of seven or eight moves that he could do blindfolded. I I think it's a common expression to be like, oh, yeah, I I know this so well, I could do it blindfolded. Pac is on that level with (laughs) professional wrestling. And and I don't care if it's true or not. I believe it. Let me have this. Yep. Uh, so I said in the open that we were going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've talked about the good. We've talked about the ugly. Let's talk about the bad. Um, in life, what is something that we all hate about our jobs? Um, you look at your schedule, you see this is on there and you're like, Oh God damn it. Oh, meetings, inner circle meetings, meetings. meetings. So when we all come home at the end of the day after work (laughs) and we're watching our favorite television program as an escape from reality, why the fuck would we want to see a team meeting? Wait, 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 Judge Joel. It would only be realistic if they were all at home doing a Zoom and every other like mention in the meeting is is, is Jericho telling Hager, hey, mute yourself, please. We can hear all the shit in the background. And then like hearing someone like, oh, look, I have a cute background. I'm now like a floating kitty. Like that's how it would really feel realistic because I haven't had an in-person meeting in two fucking years. So I just I don't understand. Like we've had these meetings before. They've we had have. Circle meetings. How many times does the inner circle need to have a meeting? Like it, it really defies the idea that they were ever a cohesive group when it's like how how many times do you need to have these very public meetings like can we not just have a segment where it's like hey we had a team meeting and 
and this is where we're at. And like, just have a backstage interview. That actually makes logical sense. It does not make yeah. any sense that we would have a camera inside of their private team meeting that nobody fucking wants to see anyway. Yeah. I, I look at these, like the team conflict storylines. Like my favorite one is when, when Daniel Bryan teamed up with Kane and they had to go to therapy and you just saw these like short, you know, five minute therapy sessions over the course of like the next month and a half. They were incredible. They were so funny, but it also like it built why they kind of work together despite their differences. Like you can do this type of, hey, the team's broken right now. We need to fix it without doing a meeting. Now, if they wanted to print off 30,000 copies of a meeting agenda and give it to all the fans in the audience and Jericho very deliberately passes agenda out to each member of the team. I'd be for that. Like if you're going to do it, like make it corny, like make it like a corporate retreat or something. Don't, we don't need to hear them in the ring saying the same shit we've heard them say for the last month. Cause what are they going to add to that meeting? That's any different. Hager hasn't been seen in weeks. Sammy Guevara is kind of a baby face on his own now with the TNT title, Fuego del Sol and stuff like, what what can those two guys add to what what we thought was already kind of compelling between Jericho and, and we, Proud and Powerful? We've talked about this the past couple of weeks. The last thing that we want is for Sammy Guevara to once again have his TNT title run diminished by getting pulled back into inner circle bullshit. That's yep. what screwed his first run. Yep. It was his first run was the most what lackluster of all the TNT championship reigns so far. Yes. Like, because the TNT Championship has been awesome. Every champion has left a mark on the company during their reigns, except for Sammy. And maybe, like, Sammy winning the title back from Cody in that awesome match was maybe that's it. But it, it's, it, I don't want to see this. We liked what they were doing with Jess Santana and Ortiz and, and Jericho. Like, I really want Sammy and, uh, and Hager to be like, why are we here? This doesn't involve us. You know, and and maybe some of these things that we're kind of throwing out there as we are pre-shitting on this segment we haven't seen yet um, <laughs> will actually happen and we will feel better about it. But I just, in the moment, I was like, who wants this? Like, it's, especially calling it a team meeting and being like, it's mandatory. Like, mandatory what meetings are, you gonna are the you're worst. Gonna fucking, you're gonna fucking fire me, Jericho? Like, I just how want, are you gonna I want, punish me? I want Sammy to walk out and be like, fuck, this this meeting could have been an email. Yeah. Or I want Sammy to come out with like, well, I have to eat dinner, but I have to do this meeting now. Like, you know how many meetings I eat my meals in because it's just so poorly timed. Like, I don't ugh, this is um, there's just this reliance on the inner circle. Like it, they need to let it go. Like the inner circle was a great thing for a fledgling AEW to have especially when you had your first champion being an established star like Jericho. When has the inner circle, like since the pinnacle inner circle story ended, what have they done as a group? The, you know the, what the I would rather American top team stuff. Like, you know what I would rather see than this team meeting any women's match. Yeah. Yeah. You, you say you don't have enough TV time to have two women's matches on dynamite. There's your time right there. There's also, your time. Scrap this bullshit and give us another women's match. Also, we've seen other wrestlers in this company, other companies build stories through social media. You could build this purely on backstage interviews, Twitter stuff. 
like where you have them going back and forth with each other on Twitter. Like you could easily do that. Like right now we're seeing Isaiah Cassidy and Sammy Guevara kind of have this back and forth on Twitter about their title match on Friday. Isaiah Cassidy turned his profile picture to take Conti. <laughs> I which, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I actually kind of like. So I just, there's ways that you can build a story without having to result in using a segment like this. We've seen other people. Dan Housen has done more on social media since he joined AEW than Jericho has done since like he started. Like Dan Housen's like, he's like, I'm on my, like, oh, like they talked about how his seg- his debut had like one of the highest ratings and he was, and he asked Tony Khan, Tony Elite for like a million coins so he can swim in it. That's funny shit. And that helps establish his character and continues who he is. You could do this whole inner circle breakdown in a unique way using the tools at hand. Have have Ortiz make a TikTok where he just fucking sh- shades so, on Jericho. Like So you mentioned Danhausen and I think the only way that this segment works if is if Danhausen is in the inner circle meeting <laughs> and nobody understands why he's there, but they can't get him to leave. It's just it's just him with like a secret like glasses that look like a 1960 secretary would wear. No, like, like he t- thinks he's in the inner circle. Like that would, <laughs> you know, well, we'll be, we'll be getting into kind of like, remember when um, uh, R-Truth started doing that random shit like with WWE, like where he would run out with a ladder, set it up and climb. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, I thought this was a ladder match. <laughs> I, I love R-Truth. And, and every time he would come out and like be confused about what was going on and be like, oh, my bad. Actually, I take what I said. I want this to happen. Yeah. Let Dan Housen just insert himself into things and like just gaslight them like, I've been there the whole time and like show <laughs> old videos with like Dan Housen poorly edited in the backgrounds. Like, Oh, huh, I agree Jericho. <laughs> and then just cutting to like him, like in There's the crowd so when Jericho falls off the cage and him just like, no. All right. This is the least lightning round segment <laughs> in the history of lightning round. What have you for, got for, for me? Let's, for, let's for, move on. For, for something we hated. We talked about it for a long time. Unfortunately, the last thing I wanted to talk about was at the Isaiah Cassidy, um, uh, Sammy Guevara little mini Twitter feud right now. But it's just a perfect example of like this match was only announced on Wednesday and through social media, they got me hyped about a random match. Like, yeah, it's for the title, but there isn't really a huge background here. And Isaiah Cassidy's, you know, antics on Twitter and they've hit. It's, it's given us a reason to... Uh, care about this so that was the last thing i wanted to talk about i kind of talked about in the last conversation though so well uh by rule i have to talk about adam page um oh yeah (laughs) and um i think my biggest note is we need a a hard limit on dan lambert segments on dynamite (laughs) we got two Um, (laughs) which is which is one you get one you do not get two you get one and I was so annoyed when he came back out and not annoyed in a, Ooh, I hate you. I want to see the person that you're supporting lose sort of way. A like, what the fuck are you doing on my television again? Sort mm-hmm. of way. And then he was out there to basically say three words and then hand the microphone to Jake Roberts. Who, what did he even say? Like, did it make any sense? No, no. At, this is one. Of the, this is an example of we got the match announcement last week. You probably didn't need either of these competitors and their mouthpieces 
on this week. And the you match just, is going to uh, be good. The match yeah. is going to be good. It's a yep. it's a Texas death match between two really talented performers. Yep. We're excited about it. Like, yeah. How about a, just a backstage segment with Alex Marvez interviewing Adam Page, uh, talking about the match, and or and you could, we could do the, that, the, like the JR sit down where you have Adam yeah, Page just talking absolutely. about like, oh, I've never competed in one of these, and I'm going against a guy who considers it his signature match. It'd be like facing the Undertaker and how like like you could you do are that. Absolutely right. Like that is exactly what they should have yeah. done is one of the because jr is fantastic in those i think that's the best stuff that he's he also, done he adds in weight AEW. story he adds a little like legitimacy when J, yeah, yeah when jr does those sit downs that's all you needed and because we're already hyped for this match like i can't wait for that match next week and they just they kind of watered it down this week it, they kind of killed some mm-hmm. of the momentum yep. and we we talk about like you don't need to have everyone on every week like mm-hmm. we love that about like the beginning of AEW. You didn't see everyone. We didn't necessarily need to see either of these guys this week. And and I understand wanting to have the champion on the week before a title defense. And I could see that being a criticism if he wasn't on, but this segment just was not good and um, hurts my feelings to say that because it involves, you know, my favorite wrestler in the company, but you know, it is what it is excited for the match. And, uh, yeah, good things to come. I'm I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks of AEW programming. Yeah, and after this title match next week, we'll we'll be squarely in the build to Revolution, and we're gonna see a lot of new stories. Hopefully, get put together some maybe long running rivalries, kind of sprint towards the finish line. So it's gonna be an exciting time. It's gonna be really fun. So, guys, give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at the Other Wrestling Show, Twitter at the Other Wrestling Show, Joel at the Other Joel, me at Michael underscore Aranda. You can uh, get the podcast on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, anyone, ever, anywhere it is, anywhere you can get podcasts, there we are. <laughs> I really fucked that one up. You can email us at the other wrestling show. Um, Joel, uh, anything to say before uh, I freeze my ass off? Join the Dark Order. Join the Dark Order. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Talk to the clothesline. And happy wrestling.